In an article within the last year of Atlantic Monthly, a researcher named Steiniger uh, went out and set out to interview over a thousand people that were considered wealthy and uh, in arranged anywhere from you know, a, few million, a few million dollars to billionaires. And he, in fact, said that he interviewed several billionaires for this project. And the source of his project was how we find contentment. And he wasn't looking at collectively as a whole, but wanted to look at those that would be considered from the world standard, uh, have all that they would need for contentment, and see what was their level of contentment. And it was fascinating and troubling at the end of his research. In fact, he said, I was just ready to get the research done. It was troubling and depressing to me at the end of it. But uh, he said, at a certain level of wealth, some of these extremely wealthy people stopped almost counting the numbers themselves, but what they had compared to other people within their peer groups. Even when it, come, even when it came to philanthropy, did they have the bragging rights, essentially, of, of the same level of philanthropy to their philanthropic organizations and their endeavors and interests compared to their friends? Did they have the same uh, objects, the same toys, the same pieces of artwork compared to their friends? And even in the midst of those circles, as yes, you can imagine, there was a tremendous lack of contentment. Now, those stories are often the ones that we use because that's the one that's often a little juicier, if you will. But when we're thinking about contentment from our focal passage today... Proverbs chapter 30, verses 7 through 9, we see that contentment is something that can be elusive not only to those that are wealthy, but also to those that might be considered by the world standard or their own standard in poverty. And so it says this here in verses 7 through 9, two things I request of you. This is written by Agur. This is not our usual author here, Solomon, that we see throughout the book of Proverbs, but nonetheless, one who's uh, who, who the Lord had his hand upon in the religious court of the day and was one who was speaking the wisdom of God as well. Two things I request of you. Deprive me not before I die. Remove falsehood and lies from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food allotted to me. Help me find that contentment in whatever my case may be. Lest I be full and deny you and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. Here's the thing that we see in this. Take a look and we'll write it down. We should desire contentment in whatever we possess. And not only does it talk about possessions, we say that here in the midst of our main statement, but it's more than that. Whatever uh, place in life, whatever status in life we find ourselves by sort of an extraneous worldly standard, we should desire contentment in whatever we possess and wherever we find ourselves in life. Both excess wealth and excess poverty present their own temptations. Now catch temptations there at the end as well. That does not mean wherever we find ourselves and whatever our sphere of temptation is, it means that we are tempted. It doesn't mean that we are designated and we are destined to fall into those. So we have to, and we have to understand that this is more than just a practical axiom. This is more than just some sort of 
practical uh, statement that we could find in any sort of literature, but we have to remind ourselves that this comes in the entire context of Scripture, in the entire context of God's redemptive plan, that we ultimately and only will truly find our contentment and our satisfaction in Jesus Christ himself. Lord God, as we go to this passage today, as we dig deeper in, help us to truly see that there are two sides of the coin of temptation to to move us away from contentment found in you. And either one has the commonality of our focus is upon ourselves and our circumstances, not on you. And so Lord, help us to, to remember and realize and not fight against how we were made. You made us in our human nature to find our satisfaction and our joy in you alone. Help us to remember that. Help us to drive us and help us to live by it in your power. In the name of Jesus, we do pray. Amen. So it says here in verse 7, Two things I request of you, deprive me not before I die. We see this humility here. This whole section speaks of this humility of the author that he knows that these are temptations and he needs to be fortified against these from the Lord. Two things I ask of you before I die, a sense of as long as I live. It doesn't mean just at the very end of one's life, but really this is something he wants to see God build into his life now that he might live for these things and live by this axiom as long as he lives. See, he says, sanctify me in this life. He realizes the impermanence of life, and he realizes the necessity of these things being lived out in his life now. Sanctify me in this life because he realizes this wisdom, this wisdom he cannot take beyond the grave. Two things I request of you. We see this humility and this proper framework and this perspective of, yes, he lives ultimately, ultimately for eternity, but eternity he can live for now. Two things I request of you, deprive me not before I die. Now here's what's interesting. When we, at first glance, depending upon your translation and how it's laid out here, it may seem as though the two things are remove falsehood and lies from me. Number one, that's what people might think. And that really in my first reading, that's too what I believed until I looked uh, closer at the context here. Remove falsehood and lies from me. And then number two would be give me neither poverty nor riches. But really, when you look at the context, especially the explanatory statements here that we see in verse 9, it makes it clear that the two things are give me neither poverty, number one, nor riches, number two. Those are the two things. And verse 8 serves as an introductory statement. So two things I request of you, deprive me not before I die. And he says again as an introductory statement, remove falsehood and lies from me. And then the two things... Give me neither poverty nor riches. You see, if we back up to the first part of verse 8, though, and that sort of preamble statement, that introductory statement where he says, remove falsehood and lies from me. Falsehood there is a word that can actually be translated into vanity or shallowness, emptiness, hollowness, and worthlessness. And the reason it serves as an introductory statement because he is saying that those things, trying to find our contentment in either poverty or riches... Or, or trying to find our, con- our, our contentment in the things of the world is falsehood, it's vanity, it's emptiness, and it's lies. Those lies are an expression of that, an outward expression of that vanity itself. So falsehood, vanity, 
Remove those things far from me. Help me to see with clarity that neither, as he's going to say, do I find my contentment in wealth, nor do I have some false understanding that almost like the ancient ascetics, which we'll talk about in just a moment, that I'm going to find my satisfaction in that. I'm going to find my contentment in that. Neither one we find our contentment in the Lord. So remove falsehood and lies from me. And then he says in the second part of verse 8, give me neither poverty nor riches. So again, these are the two requests and the two clauses, explanatory clauses of verse 9 make that clear as he expounds upon these two requests. Give me neither poverty nor riches. You see, there's falsehood and lies. This falsehood and lies of the first part of verse 8 can come in both the, the deceptiveness of wealth and poverty. Wealth convinces one that he has no need of God. We'll see a couple of examples of that a little bit later from the Old Testament. Wealth can can convince someone or at least tempt one to be convinced of the fact that they do not need the Lord. And poverty, poverty can cause one, if they do not have the correct perspective that their contentment is not found in wealth, they can have the perspective that God is cruel and of no help. You see, in both instances... Whether it's a person who, by the world standard, someone, if you're to take a straw poll, a, a group might say, yeah, that person's wealthy, that person's well off. And you take a straw poll of the, the same group, and they might say, yeah, person B is, is impoverished. Either way, there's a temptation in both towards the idolatry of things. The idolatry of things. I'll reference it again later, but we know the, 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 the famous verse, the well-known verse, rather in the Bible, says that the love of money is the root of all evil. It doesn't say money. Money itself is a tool that can be used to honor and glorify God or one that, that they could, a person can place their trust and satisfaction in. It's a tool. And that's why he says the love of money is the root of all evil. And yes, I think we can, when we think of that, are the first thing that pops into mind is a wealthy person. But trust me, a person that is impoverished can love money just as much as the wealthy person. A person can be as fascinated by and, and can be so consumed by wealth just as much as a wealthy person. They can be consumed by and idolize the very thing they don't have as much as the person that does have it. And that's why we see when we understand that money is a tool that can be used for the glory of God or it's something that can become an idol if we love it. So poverty and riches, we see the falsehood in either one thinking that either one will draw us closer to the Lord. This was the problem with the ascetics, the ancient ascetics. They believed that if they lived lives, it was this sort of extreme monasticism. Is this extreme of being a monk to the point where you would starve yourself, you would beat yourself, you would try to, um, try to, try to do everything that you could to, to detach yourself from the things of this world, believing that you would draw closer to the Lord. And so there's falsehood in that. Not only that, is there falsehood, of course, in riches. Billy Graham And his great book, Just As I Am, tells a story. Many of you have probably heard it, read it in the book, or heard it before, that he had an opportunity to do a crusade in the Caribbean. And as he was there, he met with one of the wealthiest men in the world who one of this man's residences was there in the Caribbean. He was 75 years old. But as he met with him, the man was close to tears. And he said to Billy Graham, and he quotes, I am the most miserable man in the world. He says, I can go anywhere I want. I have a yacht, I have a helicopter, uh, countless things, but I am miserable. I am miserable. He said when he was also there, he had an opportunity to meet with a man, or meet with a man who was a widower, 
And really much of his life was consumed with taking care of two of his disabled sisters. But he said, I don't have two pounds to my name, but I am the happiest man on this island. Now here's the thing that's kind of written between the lines. One might think without the whole witness of Scripture, okay, that man found his contentment in his poverty. No, not at all. Contentment is not found in either accumulation of things or the setting aside of things. Neither one. Both, in both instances, one can idolize the things, either the accumulation of them or the lack thereof. The contentment is found only in Christ. Listen to this. Read it and write it down. Neither the rich nor the poor is by their wallet any closer to God. Just because a person's wallet, the accumulation of wealth or lack thereof, does not make a person any closer to God. Neither is intrinsically virtuous. But no matter where we find ourselves, where are we finding our contentment? No matter what a person has or what a person does not have by the world's standards, a person can absolutely, positively find their contentment in God. Here's the thing. But we have to think about the other side of this. Not only do we find possible temptation in both, but on the other hand, either can be sanctified and useful unto God. You see, again, 1 Timothy 6.10, For the love of money, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many arrows. Both of those cases... One can find their contentment in God, or they can be tempted to focus upon their circumstances. What will it be? No matter where we find ourselves, in wealth or poverty or anywhere in between by the world's standards, will we find our contentment once again in God? And we see here, we see Agur, as he, as he lays out these two statements, he says in this statement of contentment, he says, feed me with the food allotted to me. Help me not to wish that I was one way or the other, but help me to just be happy with what you've given me, God. Help me to be content in where I find myself. Folks, listen to this. We should pray for circumstances that lead to contentment and trust in the Lord. That's what we should pray for. That's what we should pray for. Now, does it mean that we can't pray for a specific thing to happen if you own a business and there's a business deal that would be important to your business and you pray that God would you give me wisdom and this is right or it's not of course not yes we can pray for that can you pray if you're struggling with your finances and you really need some help does that mean that we're uh, unable to pray for those things and ask the Lord to give us help of course not yes we can pray for that but in all things we have to be careful and have to realize that we can find our idolatry in the things of this world no matter where we find ourselves on the world's, uh, the the, the false world's uh, ladder of status. We pray for circumstances that lead to contentment and trust in the Lord. Here's the other thing. We don't pray for ease. Oftentimes what draws us closer to the Lord and draws us closer to finding our contentment in Him is not ease. Not ease. It's not a solve, God, solve quickly this issue in my life. Solve quickly this burden that I bear in my life. 
Sometimes God in his wisdom, because his ways are higher than our ways, his thoughts are higher than our thoughts, knows that you need to, grow, to, to go right through that crucible of trial in your life, that you might draw closer to him, you might continue to wean yourself off the things of this world, no matter where you find yourself on the ladder of preconceived success, no matter where you are there, and find your contentment in him. Paul himself, in writing to Timothy, said, and having food in 1 Timothy 6, 8, and said, and having food and clothing with with these things, we shall be content. We shall be content. And remember, Paul was a man that in his previous life, as one who was a persecutor of the Jews, who was a quick-rising, a fast-rising star amongst the Pharisees, he was on his way to power and prestige. But he says now he finds his contentment in the Lord. You see, Contentment doesn't come from, he says, feed me with the food allotted to me. He says, the the, the contentment doesn't come from the food or bread or other trappings of the world. Those things can find themselves empty. You know, it's a really interesting story in the the famine of China, the the famine of China of the previous centuries, that they they went about making bread, what they would call bread, out of an actual type of edible earth that would happen by the breaking down of of certain plants and things in the ground. And it was a bread, a quote-unquote bread. They'd form it into some sort of an edible piece of food that was completely devoid of any nutrients. And so even though they ate the loaves, they were still starving. And really it's an illustration of what we see here that Agur says, feed me with the food allotted to me. Help me to find my contentment in you and not find my food or my bread, my spiritual well-being and sustenance in the things of the world, but help me to find it in you. Remove falsehood and lives from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food allotted to me. And in verse 9 he says this, lest I be full and deny you and say who is the Lord or lest I be poor and steal. Again, we see from these two explanatory clauses here that the two things that he says, uh, give me these things, he's, he, and, he, and he warns against are the poverty and the riches. Lest I be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal. He continues to flesh these things out for us. Folks, listen to this. Again, write it down. The glory of God, not personal standing, must be our singular motivation. Do you understand, even as he says this here in verse 9, his motivation, really we see it coupled with the, the, the second part of this verse, and profane the name of my God. His desire isn't even for just his own contentment in and of itself. He's, he's a greater purpose in it than even his own contentment in and of itself. He says he desires contentment in you, Lord God, lest I bring dishonor to your name and your glory. You see, this just fits kind of hand in glove with what we see from Jesus in Matthew 6, 33, when he tells us to seek first the kingdom of God. And all of these other things will be added unto you. He says, seek the glory of God in his kingdom. Seek the well-being of others and seeing that others come to faith in Jesus Christ, storing up eternal treasure that moth and rust do not destroy. Store that up. And he says, guess what? And I'll take care of the rest. Now take care of the rest may not mean that I give you the sort of level of social standing that in your mind's eye you might hope for. But he'd say once again, where do you find your contentment? He says, lest I be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? 
We understand the temptation there. Earthly prosperity can lead one to forget about the Lord and say, do I really need the Lord? We saw this in Exodus chapter 5, verses 1 through 5 with Pharaoh, where he was the most powerful man in the world at the time. He said, who is this Lord? Who is the Lord? We also see it in Deuteronomy chapter 8, as the children of Israel are called to go into the promised land. And he warns them. He says this starting in verse 11. He says, beware. He says to the children of Israel, as they're standing there on the precipice of the new land, as they're going in, and he knows it's going to be a land of prosperity for them because of his hand, not theirs. Beware that you do not forget the Lord your God by keeping his commandments, his judgments, and his statutes, which I've commanded you today. Lest when you have eaten and are full, you've built beautiful houses and you dwell in them. And when your herds and your flocks multiply and your silver and your gold are multiplied and all that you have is multiplied when your heart is lifted up and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt in the house of bondage who led you through the great and terrible wilderness in which every which through fiery serpents and scorpions in a thirsty land where there was no water who brought you there out brought that water out of a flinty rock who fed you in the wilderness with manna which your fathers did not know that he might humble you and that he might test you to do good in the end And then you say in your heart, my power and my might of my hand have gained me this wealth. He says, do not forget me, lest you think and you forget and you think that all of this that you see around you is yours. Do not forget the Lord. And once again, his prayer is not selfish. His concern is not about, you know, God, don't make me wealthy lest I be envied by others and tempted by wealth. Or don't make me poor lest I be this disdain of other people. Ultimately, his focus is upon the glory of God. Because he says this, lest I profane the name of my God. That original word there in Hebrew means to not just profane as it says in my translation. Some of yours might reflect some of the other words here. But to grasp at, to seize at, to handle roughly. Lest I handle the name of the Lord roughly. Lest through my testimony, the way I live my life, that the name of God is handled roughly and I make bad testimony for him. You see... And maybe with, with the person who sees themselves and finds themselves in poverty, maybe it's a, a, just a, a swearing off of God or maybe calling God's providence and his goodness into question. Lest I assail the name justice and mercy of God or lest he say that God is not just, merciful, and good. So matter, no matter what it might be, whether it is one who is given wealth or one who finds themselves with lack of wealth, There's temptation in both to forget God and to forget his glory. So what do we do? What can I do? What can you do about this to find and live in a life of contentment? Ask yourself prayerfully. Write this question down. It's not going to be on the screen, so write it down in whatever way you can remember it here. Where am I idolizing things? How am I idolizing or where am I idolizing things? I broaden it past money, although I think we can understand that. But I say things, lest it be too narrow of a definition. Where am I idolizing things? And again, folks, no matter where you find yourself in a predetermined, worldly, socioeconomic status, wherever you find yourself in that, which the Bible does not ascribe to, wherever you find yourself in that, there is temptation, no matter where you find yourself. 
There's a temptation to idolize money and the accumulation of things. Either you have it and you're trying to find more happiness in it, or you are consumed with getting it. Where am I idolizing things? Folks, you want, to give me, you want me to give you one even more practical? Get off. Limit. Uh, be careful about your social media. That is the seedbed for comparison. That is the absolute seedbed for comparing yourself to other people, whether it be actually accumulation of things you can handle or a lifestyle. That is the seedbed for comparison and finding contentment, trying to find contentment in things of this world rather than yourself. Once again, those things are great tools if used properly, but they're also a temptation. What do we do as well? We pray that you would live out Psalm 1611. Write down that reference, Psalm 1611. In your presence is the fullness of joy, and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. That's the psalmist confirming that back unto his God. And he's saying, in your presence, God, is the fullness of joy. Spending time with you, God, abiding in you, consuming my life with you in your presence is the fullness of joy and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Folks, how do we do that? How do we spend that time? How do we consume our lives with the Lord Jesus Christ? Folks, again, I'm gonna tell you each and every week, it's right here. It's right here in the word of God. Are you spending time in the word of God? And are you spending time in prayer? Are you spending time with him? Are you saying that, God, your face is the first face I'm going to see? Your voice is the first voice I'm going to hear? Your conversation with you is the first conversation I'm going to have. I'm going to spend my time with you. And then does that continue throughout your day? Are you spending time with him? And then are you living out his word and trust? Are you being obedient unto him? What can you do? Again, pray that God would show you where are you idolizing things and not finding contentment in him. Very practically, whatever it may be, whether it be social media or any other types of things that might practically draw you into temptation, limit those things. Ask the Lord to give you strength to do so. And then pray and find your truth. Find the truth of Psalm 1611. In your presence is the fullness of joy, and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Let's pray. Lord God, may we truly live that out in our lives. Lord, your word never fails. The truth of Psalm 1611 is true today as when it was written. Humanity has been tempted from the beginning to find contentment in something other than you. And yet, we face burdens, plethora of burdens. We face stress. We face difficulty. We face emptiness. Because we too easily fall into the trappings of the world. So God, help us to see what we are idolizing and what we are attempting to find our contentment in other than you. Help us to see that we are not immune from it because we find ourselves in a place of wealth or poverty or anywhere in between. But no matter where we find ourselves, There's temptation to find our contentment in things that moth and rust destroy, but help us to find it in you. In the name of Jesus, we do pray. Amen.